You're listening to Alamo City Limits Podcast with Noah McGarrow-George, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of Pounding the Rock in SB Nation. What's going on, Spurs fans? Welcome back to Alamo City Limits, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of SB Nation and Pounding the Rock. As always, I'm your host, Noah McGarrow-George, and that's my co-host, Damian Bartonek. And today, we're sticking with the topic of NBA Draft as we bring on another special guest. We've got Richard Stamen, a.k.a. Mavs Draft. You've seen him on Twitter. You've probably seen him all over the internet. But man, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm happy to be here. It's, uh, it's weird crossing into enemy territory. <laughs> but uh, but no, very excited to, to branch out and, you know, send that all branch or whatever the phrase is. <laughs> yeah, man, we're, we're so excited to have you. And just so our listeners know, uh, we're, we're recording this podcast May 16th. It's about roughly 5.04 p.m. Central Time. But the Spurs and really the rest of the NBA, they're less than 24 hours away from learning their fate at the 2022 NBA Draft Lottery. We've got a lot to discuss with you. We've covered guards. We've covered forwards. We've covered centers. And this episode, we're going to stick to less positional specificity. We're just going to go all over the place. So we've got three guys. We've been doing this exercise every single week. So we'll throw this at you. We've got Jalen Duran, Keegan Murray, AJ Griffin. Go ahead and list them just according to that specific group where you have them ranked and then inverse order. That's how we'll cover them. Yeah. Okay. So my, my top of, I, man, I've actually got them all three in a row. It's really funny. I didn't even plan for this. I I never (laughs) clicked until right now. I have Keegan Murray at seven. I have AJ Griffin at eight. I have Jalen Duran at nine. All right, Dame, what do you have? (sighs) I'd probably have it the same way. Keegan, Keegan, AJ and Jalen Duran. Although I've been watching a lot of Jalen Duran recently, obviously preparing for this episode. And I like to say that I've really started to come around to him and his skill set overall. Um, there's some things I would like to ask, you know, later on whenever we start talking about them. But, uh, yeah, that's where, where I have it. Awesome. And I'll go ahead and round out the group. I've got Keegan number one out of this group. Then I've got AJ Griffin. Then I've got Jalen Duran. They're all really close. Uh, I think specifically on my big board, they're like seven, nine and 10. So they're really, really close to each other. And we'll go ahead and let's, who do we want to start off with? I know we said inverse order. We didn't all give the same answer. So I'll leave it up to you, Dame. You want to start with Duran? Yeah, 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 yeah. Alrighty, yeah, let's go ahead and do it. So you're the draft expert. We're bringing you on here because we think you've got great insight. You've definitely watched more college basketball, probably more AAU tape than we have. So let's talk about maybe some of his strengths, areas of improvement, scalability to the NBA, ceiling floor, fit with the Spurs, all that sort of stuff. Wherever you want to start, we'll take it from there and we'll kind of just feel out the discussion from there. Yeah, let's start with strengths. Uh, Everything that he does in the paint is at a high level. He's really efficient around the rim. He's a above the rim finisher, has good touch on his layups and stuff. A really good athlete just helps him explode above everybody else, strong on putbacks, things like that. And then you go to the defensive end and he's going to be able to protect the rim. He can be a blindside defender. Like you watch Bam Adebayo who comes out of nowhere. I like to think of that as like a blindside help defender. And, and you look at that level of impact. He can scale out to the perimeter pretty well. I think he can hold his own. The problem is, uh, well, I'll get to weaknesses, but you know, he has good lateral quickness. And, and I think when you talk about what he's going to do at the rim, that's 90% of what his game is, especially on the offensive now. He's also a cutter and he's really good at pick and rolls. But ultimately, most of the offense is predicated about around him finishing at the rim in terms of him scoring. Yeah, I, I really like Jalen Duran. I don't 
disagree with anything you just said. I think you gave a really good synopsis of what his strengths are. One of the things, and, and I wanted to ask you this because I've been frank with everybody who's been on the show, everybody who's listening to it. So I just watch five games, like their worst games according to box score on Basketball Reference, and then their five best games. Five worst, five best, and then I take notes from there. That's missing a lot of context. But from what I was able to gather, plus the data that's available through Synergy, it didn't seem like he ran that many pick-and-roll possessions as the role man at Memphis. Did you feel like that was mostly because of the situation there, the context there where they didn't really have like a true point guard or a true playmaker. And then what do you make of that heading into the next level? Do you really think like day one with a real facilitator in an NBA offense, better spacing, like this guy will be dangerous immediately, like as a rim runner, lob threat, roll man. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think it's mostly because he didn't have a point guard. You know, he runs the floor very well. Guys didn't find him. It was a lot of those kind of things where in transition it was like, I don't even know, I don't feel comfortable even guessing who the best ball handler and passer was, especially pick and roll, pick and rolls, because I don't think they had a good pick and roll ball handler. And when you don't have that, you're, as a center who relies on scoring at the rim, you're not going to look as good. Definitely. And I guess another question I had for you was, I saw that he seemed to be like relatively willing to shoot the mid-range jumper, but I didn't think it looked that good. I don't know if I would call it like a hitch. I'm not necessarily the most like... I guess, have the direct vocabulary to describe it, but it definitely seemed like when he was shooting jumpers that his arms would like fade from one side of his body over to the other side of his body. I thought it brought like pretty inconsistent results. Do you buy into that ever being like a part of his game? Do you think he'll shoot at the next level? Or, I mean, I don't think it's going to happen from day one. I'm not super convinced he'll ever be a shooter, but is that something you see in his game? And does that affect how you view him as a prospect long-term? Yeah, that's something that holds me back from putting him any higher than really where he is now. I, yeah, he took some shots. He, he took the mid-range, which, sure, I applaud him for, but, man, it's just really not pretty. I don't know how else to really say it kindly, but the jump shot form is gross. He, does, in general, doesn't have offense outside of 15 feet, and I don't know if he ever really will. Maybe maybe to that free-throw line jumper is, is the best-case scenario, but I'm not too optimistic in that, and for me, that's why he has to be elite at both finishing and defending to really stick and live up to the draft stock. A hundred percent. Dame, did you have any questions you wanted to ask Richard about yeah. Jalen Duran in particular? Go for it, man. Okay. First, dang it. You stole what I was going to bring up about the pick <laughs> and roll possessions because I literally, I read that earlier today. He had under like 35 possessions as a role man, I believe in college last year. So it's interesting that you brought up the point guard play. Cause that's something that I heard as well. Another thing, too, about Jalen Duran, I feel, is kind of like the biggest swing factor. I think everyone would agree with this. If he actually, you know, develops an offensive game, you know, outside of being just a lob threat and stuff like that or put-back guy, stuff like that, I mean, you're dealing with a, with, a, with a player that could be really, really good. I don't know about, like, build your whole team around good, but in terms of being a secondary or tertiary option, you know, offensively for you, like, that's a pretty big swing factor, especially if you're the Spurs, you're picking him at nine. Another thing, too, I would like to ask, or I would like to ask in general, do you believe that he has upside, um, you know, as a kind of a post player, as a guy that can, you know, have his back to the basket and kind of put the ball on the floor a little bit and score? Do you think, like, where do you see his role at, at the at the NBA level and just kind of projecting what's, like, most realistic for you when it comes to, you know, how you see him playing? Yeah, I think ultimately, for me, I, I don't know how much I trust the back to the basket scoring. I think he's got some of it. 
at AAU, for example, he wasn't, he was able to use it because he was just so much bigger than everybody. So I don't know how much actual skill he has because he also didn't do it a ton this year. I think, I think his passing is going to be more of an offensive threat than his actual back to the basket scoring, but a lot of it came out of the post offense. So he would kind of have to develop that post scoring to actually have post passing because you can't just sit in the post just because you're big. You have to actually be a threat. Otherwise, everybody's going to play off of you. So I don't know if the post scoring really ever comes along to be more than maybe average. I mean, he can exploit mismatches. That's probably what you're wanting. Yeah, and I guess one of the other things that I noticed with him, I didn't think he had like that great of touch around the rim. And like this is probably this is not supposed to be a one for one comparison, but guys like Yaka Pertl, or more specifically, I guess a guy like Rashawn Holmes, like you know he can get up above the rim, you know he's a lob threat, but he also has that push shot that's really valuable, I think. And I just don't think that Jalen Duran has that sort of touch around the rim. Uh, not on like a little push shot floater runner sort of shot like that. I don't think he had a lot of touch when guys were like up in his space. But I mean, I, I like him. I don't know if I like him for spur for the Spurs at nine. And we'll we'll kind of talk about some of his weaknesses. We'll move on to that in a second. But I'll ask you this question: If you're the Spurs, he's there at nine. Do you take him? I mean, is that a guy who you if they take him at nine, that's a good pick in your opinion? Yeah, I think you return good value. I think it's, I mean, he's my number nine player, so like it's actually pretty one-to-one. It depends. If somebody like, I don't know, let's say like these guys are not in my top uh, 10. Say say a couple of these guys went. Say, let's say Blake Leslie, Dyson Daniels, any two of these three, or even, um, and I just drew a blank on who the other one, oh, Jeremy Sohan. If any of those three are gone before him, you automatically have dropped one of the top eight players into your lap, which for me, that includes the consensus for Ivy Boncaro, um, Smith, Holmgren, and then Matherin, Sharp, Murray, Griffin, and Duran. And at that point, I don't think Duran would be my first choice. Now, if it is the same way, if my board aligns perfectly with the draft, go ahead and take Jalen Duran. But really depends on what happens in front. He's not, he's not somebody I'm wishing for San Antonio to take. Interesting. Yeah. And I guess the last thing before we move on to weaknesses is I wanted to get your feel for him as a passer, because I know you talked about, okay, if he is able to become, you know, some sort of post threat, does he have value as a passer out of the post? I didn't think he looked that good passing out of the post, but I did think he looked really good on like in flashes. I'll kind of clear that up in flashes as a short roll passer, which I think is really valuable. So where do you think that's really his only value as a passer is out of the short roll? Or do you think he can maybe do some stuff like in high low action or even uh, as like maybe some sort of like playmaking hub out of the post. Like I just, I I kind of, again, I've only seen 10 games, so I wanted more context on him. Yeah. I, uh, first of all, love the approach that you do with the five best five worst. And if you're, if you're not trying to like dive in and see every single thing, that is the best way to do it. And that is, you actually do capture a lot doing it that way. For me, I don't know about the high-low. It's something I've thought about, but I haven't been able to see because I don't think they have enough, another threat that can really play the that role with him, kind of that same thing as the point guard. But the passing, you know, he, he makes the note I have on him, and this is if you watch the Wichita State game, I think it was at Memphis, he made a bunch of mindless turnovers, and it was like it, very avoidable mistakes. That stuff does alarm me, but also he should be in high school right now being a recruit. Uh, for next year so I I sometimes give it a pass but ultimately I think he sees the floor well can he actually decide on what he sees to make the right decision that's that next step to evolve 
So why don't we go from there? Because that seems like maybe an area of improvement for him. What are some other areas of improvement for Duran heading into the NBA? Yeah, it comes uh, the the feel for the game. I think a lot of it does come into play here. Some of it, like pick and roll defense, there's times where he just doesn't commit, and that might that very well may be a Memphis issue. But I do wonder what his actual pick and roll defense looks like. That worries me a little bit. The jump shot and offense overall, outside of you, you get him out of the paint. What's he going to do? Like, yeah, dribble handoff. It's probably his best tool, which kind of scares me. Uh, and some passing, of course, but that's pretty much it. It's the decision making, the turnovers, and the lack of jump shooting. Are and and I think two of those are pretty. Those can be fixed with maturity. I don't know how fixable the jump shot is. Dame, did you have another question you wanted to ask Richard about Jalen, or or do you have a guy who you want to move on to, or what do you want to do here? No, I have one more about Jalen Duran. So defensively, obviously, I think there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of upside around the rim and stuff like that too. When it comes to his perimeter defense, I felt like I saw some 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 flashes there, just kind of. His ability to kind of move his feet, although he's a bigger guy, obviously he's not going to be moving as fluid as like Patrick Beverly or something like that, right? But I think, you know, along the perimeter, he could be a pretty solid defender. What do you think about his just overall defensive upside uh, at the next level? Yeah, I, I'd agree with you. I think he has really quick feet and he's going to be able to defend in space and not be a liability. And when you're a big at his size with and just height and weight, you're a positive defender most of the time. Now, what happens... You know, but separates him from being an elite defender, good defender, and a bad defender are pretty much how he, the decisions he makes, like whether he's disciplined, things like that. But in terms of tools, he is set up to be a very high-level defender on at, at multiple levels, both inside and outside. And I guess one other thing that I wanted to ask you about, because I'm not sure how consistent this was a problem, but I saw it in both his good and bad games that I watched, was he seems to kind of like drift out of the paint to help a lot, even when that's not really necessary, and then he kind of leaves the basket exposed. And one of the things that I had read from No Ceilings over on uh, No Ceilings, if Spurs fans want to check that out, they do a lot of good stuff there, but they made this distinction between being a rim protector and a shot blocker. Do you feel like right now he's more of a shot blocker than a true rim protector, or do you really feel like he has a good feel for you know, when to make weak side rotations, when to you know have, have good positioning? Where, where are you on him? Yeah, the way I look at it is right now he's like at this moment it's 50-50, but if he were, for example, to go to Memphis next year for one more season, which he won't, I would be more confident in saying, oh no, he's a real rim protector. So like that's a skill that's going to grow. Uh, it's just where will he grow it is kind of his thing. Uh, it's a win or where not, not an if for me. So I, I fully buy the rim protection package coming along. Nice. And then I guess one last thing before we move on. I mean, if the Spurs, you know, they say they, you know, they take him with the ninth pick. Where does he fit in? Like, where does he fit into this roster? Because I guess you would be assuming that Yaka Pirtle is back, right? Unless they try to make, you know, a trade surrounding Yaka Pirtle. He's back. He's definitely your starting center. They're not playing together. So is he your backup? And then long term, what does that look like? Are, are you more infatuated with his upside versus a guy like Yaka Pirtle who probably is what he is at this point of his career, but like he is very good. Like he's underrated, I think by a lot of people, but is a very, you know, sturdy starting center rim protector. You know, what, wh what would you do with him if you're the Spurs? Yeah. I, it's a tough question because I agree. I mean, Pirtle for whatever reason, just doesn't get enough respect despite having an entire like Wordle spinoff named after him. <laughs> uh, not totally kidding, but no, he really doesn't get enough respect. I mean, he, he can stick with anybody. People see him on posters and that's pretty much the exposure they have to him. But he's a lot more than just a guy who sits at the rim. He can do just about everything. I feel like at an average level outside of shooting, 
I, I feel like maybe I'm missing something there, but like you look at the guys they have, they have three guys that played for them this last year, 6'11", or, or really 6'10", or 6'9", even taller. And it was Zach Collins, Jock Landale, and Jakob Pertl. Obviously, of those three, if you're going to pick one of them to be a long-term player, it's Pertl. Collins is still a buy low, and I get it. Like, he probably actually will come along. But, you know, it's one of those things where it's like you're not going to stop picking a, a talent because of Zach Collins. So, for me, I think they could balance off of each other. You provide insurance. Nobody plays 82 games for the most part uh, anymore. And then also, on top of that, Spurs aren't necessarily playing for this year. They're not trying to be a – like, and they are, but they aren't. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they were in the playing game. Yeah. But they're not like – I, when I say that, like I compare them to like a team like Minnesota, they are trying to compete for right now. They have a very good reason to compete for right now, but uh, obviously you know this, and, and if you're listening to this, you probably know this too. But ultimately, you can have one year of that overlap and then afford to make Pirtle an asset. Yeah, Dame, did you want to move on to the next guy, or did you have any more thoughts? No, 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 that was perfect. That was a great, great place to to end because yeah, I feel like I feel like overall, just Duran was was someone that I mean, at nine, it makes it really tough for me to imagine the Spurs to get. Not because I don't think he would be there, but I think there's better options, or for me, rather personally, there's options I'd go instead. But I think if you're looking for like a high floor option, I mean, Duren makes sense for the Spurs. Uh, wouldn't be like the quote unquote sexiest pick, but I mean, he does make sense, and there's definitely some some upside to tap into there as well. And I think as as Richard mentioned, he's super young. Like he reclassified so that he could play at Memphis, so he should, as you mentioned, be a high school senior. He's sort of ahead of the curve in some ways, having played college basketball a year early you like the physical tools there's not a lot of guys who come into the league who are 611 already 250 like this guy already looks really filled out tremendous athlete I, I don't have a lot of complaints or I wouldn't have a lot of complaints if the Spurs took him ninth but let's go ahead and move on to the next guy I guess the next guy we can talk about is let's talk about Keegan Murray why don't we talk about Keegan Murray because I think AJ or AJ Griffin is is top of these three for um for Richard so we'll talk about Keegan Murray I like him a lot he's my favorite of this group where do you see him offensively like what are his strengths weaknesses on on both offensive defensive and we'll start with the strengths yeah so I actually have Keegan the highest of the three but I I love we can still talk about Keegan I have no issue ever talking about Keegan Murray he's one of my favorite players I've scouted this year for me, let's start with the strengths. I mean, I can just go down the list pretty much, and it's going to be a long list. No, but, it, you know, he was so productive as a sophomore uh, with three-level scoring upside. He could really score from anywhere, really knew how to accelerate the pace, so you won't ever have to worry about him adjusting to the NBA tempo like a lot of underclassmen do. Granted, he's older for his class. I think he's about to be 22. But you look at what he can do with the ball in his hands. He can handle the ball. He playmakes for others to a to an extent, and he does not turn the ball over at all. He has one of the lowest usage combined usage to turnover ratios, and or highest, I guess, good way, whatever it is. But like he has the ball in his hands a lot, and he just doesn't turn the ball over. He rebounds really well, great in transition. He's outstanding in pushing the tempo. He finishes with both hands. He can handle the ball with both hands. He's a great cutter and really capable as the pick and roll man. Good athleticism. He finishes well through contact. Good skill in the post. And also, uh, going on the turnovers, he protects the ball well. And then you get to defense. Great feet. Really uh, just high IQ basketball player on both ends. And he can block shots very easily. So he checks out as a two-way high-level scorer. Awesome. Dame, do you have questions for him? Let's let him fire. Yeah, so I think for me, I want to start, obviously, with, with the age, right? So I think there's a stigma. Obviously, we all know this. Like, 
if you're an older prospect, you know, coming into the NBA, a lot of times that kind of drives people away. But for a guy like Keegan Murray, I felt like he's everything that you would want from like an older prospect. Just overall, he plays the game the way you'd want to. And I feel like everyone says this about, you know, every time the Spurs pick, but he'd be like your prototypical like Spur, right? Like that's the kind of guy you think that they would really, really like. Hypothetically for the Spurs, there's one thing that everyone's kind of thought about is would they actually try to make a trade depending on where they land to like land in the top five or four or whatever like that? Let's say they ended up doing so, right? They ended up moving up to like five or something. Do you think that would be a smart move for the Spurs? Do you think that someone like Keegan Murray, you insert a guy like him into the ro- you know, into the rotation, you know, how big of an impact would he make for them uh, from day one? Yeah, I, I think it would be a pretty big impact and that the impact would be felt pretty quickly. You have, I mean, the Spurs had two guys averaging 14 points per game or more. And, you know, I'm, I'm excluding Derek White because he got traded, but the volume scoring for for San Antonio just hasn't been there. They don't really have a, a go-to score outside of DeJounte and Keldon and in, in an extent, like obviously, so that is two guys that could be go-to scorers, but I think Keegan's actually a better scorer than Keldon uh, by year two for, or year three. I guess when you put like where Keegan will be two years from now and where Keldon is now, I think Keegan has a very good chance of being the better player. So that kind of stuff to me, I, I really think he's going to be a walking 15 points per game on decent efficiency in year one. And when you have that, it really helps a lot. He's one of those guys kind of opposite of what we were talking about with Duran. You look at the win now ability with Keegan Murray, and he's the best value of the three that we're talking about. One of the very best actually in the draft for San Antonio. I like him a lot too. And I guess Dame, did you also ask like, would it make sense to trade yeah. up for him? Was that yeah, one of the questions that you yeah. had? Sorry. Yeah. I, I apologize. I, I got so you're focused good. on everything. No, yeah. you're good. No, I was no, thinking about it in my head I, and I was I think like, would. I, I would trade up for him. Like San Antonio, if I'm not mistaken, has a, healthy amount of assets left right like they're not really in the negative or anything right yeah no, no they have the, the ninth pick the 20th pick the 25th pick oh yeah they that's the right Who am I pick san antonio has like 35 picks this year yeah no you have no yeah. okay if i was san antonio like i i don't even think twice about it the 38th pick is probably better than having both the 20th and 25th there's a very good chance that ends up playing out that way i would I would do whatever it takes to get up. If Keegan Murray, even if it's two spots, if he's your guy, go and trade for him. I have no hesitation in saying something like that, even though it's a little bit bold. Yeah, I can appreciate you being bold. I don't know if I agree with you there. Just because, not because I don't think it would necessarily be worth it. I just was um, actually working on an article right now that focuses on like, what has it taken to trade into the top five? And do the Spurs have those sort of assets? Now, I think it's context dependent as well. Like, who are you trading up to get? What does the class, like the top of the class look like? And so I guess for a guy like Keegan Murray, I really like him. I would probably do it. I don't necessarily know that the Spurs have the assets to do that. Just looking at like some of the recent trades that they did to get in even just the top 10, a lot of that includes either like all-stars, high-end prospects, or one of the two and a pick, like a top 10 pick in in and of itself. So I I don't know, like do you move Keldon and and nine to go get – Murray, I would say no. I mean, Vassell, would you consider Vassell and no. and nine? And so no, I just think I, like I think in this it draft, would be tough. I think in this draft you can get away with just assets. I don't think you ever have to even think about a player being involved. Interesting. Yeah. Well, from that perspective, then I, I definitely would be willing to for or not willing because I'm not the one in charge. You know what I mean? But like I would be willing for the Spurs to pull the trigger on something like that. I really like Keegan Murray, and I guess. One of the questions I really wanted to ask you, because I got to watch more than 10 games for Keegan Murray. I actually really liked him. I watched him throughout the season. 
Do do you think at all him being such a he was so reliant on being a post scorer? Like he was in the I believe either the 99th or 97th percentile as a post scorer, really high volume. Like do you see him doing that in the NBA? I just I don't know how much I see him doing that in the NBA, but does it really matter? Because as you mentioned, I mean, he's a good uh, standstill shooter. I think he'll be a good pick-and-pop three-point shooter. I think he'll be a guy who can attack closeouts. I think he'll be a guy who can put the ball on the floor a little bit against guys who are similar size. So, like, does it matter? And I guess that's that's what I want to know. Does it matter? And what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I, I kind of goes both ways. And one way I see it as, like, there's some added fluff into some volume in, in a way like that's not going to carry over. It's if you reduce some of those post-up attempts, you might get a true idea of how much Keegan's going to score in the NBA. But on the other hand, you look at what he did in transition. That's when he did a lot of those post-ups and quick offenses when defenses had no way to settle. He found the mismatch, abused it, knew he could score. And also he has a good post fadeaway um, as a Mavs fan. And, you know, I'm never going to discredit a forward <laughs> who has a good post fadeaway. So... <laughs> So, I mean, for me, it's like, yeah, the post scoring, not all of it's going to be translatable, but there is times in the NBA. And I think, I think it's really overlooked actually is in transition when guys run the floor, like Keegan runs the floor very well when he's running the floor and there's a guard back. Yeah. You feed that post matchup any day. Sure. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. And I think I was looking through synergy. He was second in the nation in transition points. And then out of players who had at least a hundred possessions in transition, it was like, 1.5 points per possession and the number two was like 1.2 like it was insane he was really really good in transition so yeah I guess like for me I was just curious you know does it matter that much it does seem like probably won't matter like it's just an added skill on top of whatever he's already able to do Dame did you have any thoughts on that or did you have any questions you wanted to ask yeah one more one more for for Keegan Murray just in general now this is probably like off topic but it was something that I mentioned at first so, you know, a lot of people, obviously, like with older prospects, they kind of get a little scared, right? I guess it's more like a really broad question. We've already, we've been talking about his game for a minute now, but overall, if there's like one thing or two things that like makes Keegan different from like the usual crop of like older talent, you know, early in the lottery. Could you like point out a couple of things about that? Because I mean, I know we've been talking about it, but I mean, just in general, like, you know, the stigma I'm talking about, you know, you know, the the general kind of belief around, you know, older prospects. What are some things to you overall that kind of makes Keegan stand out to you more so than, you know, other, you know, older talent? Yeah, I think it's just that those extra special skills, like the lack of turnovers, his decision making is very strong because he has the, when you have the ball in your hands a lot, this, we saw this with Cam Thomas. Cam Thomas was a chucker, but you know what? When you have the ball in your hands a lot, you're going to get stripped. You're going to make a simple bad pass that turns into a lazy pass. He didn't. He really never had to worry about turnovers. He, he averaged a really low number. Same thing with Keegan Murray. That that stuff translates. When you have the ball in your hands a lot without making mistakes, you know you want them to be opposite ends. High usage, low turnover is a dream. And to me, things like that, I think that's really the defining skill for me that makes me confident that he will translate. And also on top of that, I mean, just like the finishing ability is going to be there. You don't have to worry about developing much of his game. It's more polishing the already above average stuff and turning it into like good, great, all that stuff. There's not really anything bad you need to turn to good. And how much do you buy into him shooting, like, or at least becoming a good mid-range shooter? Because I'm just looking at like some of the zones on the court right now. It didn't look like he was, he wasn't awful or anything like that, but he certainly wasn't like a great mid-range shooter. Do you buy into that being, becoming something like 
part of his bag, so to speak, like him being able to pull up from mid-range? Or do you think that probably isn't something that you see, you know, developing? Or does it, I mean, is that something that matters either? Because I, I kind of wonder, like you mentioned, the the kind of high usage he had or higher usage he had at Iowa, that's probably not going to be the case in the NBA. So just curious about your thoughts on those things. Yeah, I think for me, it's like the mid-range for him at the next level is going to be one of two, it's pretty much attacking closeouts, right? If he can get either a hezzy or something, he does a fake step back and goes in, then he's going to take those mid-range shots. Or if he gets it on the corner, pump fake one or two durable drives into the mid-range, that's where you're going to see the mid-range. I doubt that you're going to see him do a bunch of ISOs, get to his spot in the mid-range as the preferred area. Okay. Yeah, I, th- I think that's that's totally fair. Um, Dame, did you have any other questions about Keegan? I know I have a few left, but I don't want to hog the mic here. No, no, you're good, bro. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm, I'm learning too. <laughs> yeah, so I've, I've also seen that he's been kind of like compared to Pascal Siakam a little bit in terms of really loving that spin move. Uh, I mean, do you think that's kind of like his go-to thing like at the next level? Do you think that can be like his go-to move getting downhill, you know, spinning, finishing? Because he can, like you mentioned, he finishes with either hand and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure he was born left-handed but shoots right-handed. I don't know if that's 100%. I, I'm pretty sure I read that somewhere, but if you don't know, it's totally cool. I just That's something that I thought I read. Yeah, I don't know that, but it sounds like it could be true because he looks ambidextrous out there. For me, I don't know if the spin is really good. I don't know if it's like Siakam level, obviously, but I, I love his Euro step almost or just really his gathers. Uh, not gather step. It's like a almost hop step to an extent. It's not quite a hop step, but it's there's a better name for it. I'm, I'm absolutely blanking. It's like neither of those, but it's just like a simple like one two, keeping the ball high and at a spot the defender can't get to. He does a really good job of just keeping his footwork and while dancing around the defender with with his upper body. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. No. I I think you answered my questions that I had about Keegan Murray. We can kind of move. I don't know if we talked at all about his you know, weaknesses. So we can move on to that for a second. I don't think that there's like a, a lot of holes in his game, but if you had to name holes in his game that you think, okay, well, this is definitely areas that are realistic to improve at the next level. What are you going with? Yeah, it starts with movement shooting. I think is one um, just coming off of screens and just being able to simply pop as he's moving one direction would be nice. And then really the recovery ability on drives defensively, it's a little bit inconsistent. Sometimes he's locking up Johnny Davis, the next he's getting burned by Johnny Davis's fifth best teammate. So, which is a wide, wide gap. So like that kind of stuff worries me a little bit of defensive consistency. Yeah. So I guess I was looking at his numbers and it looks like he shot 16 of 53 on threes coming off screens. I thought maybe he looked a little bit stiff in that regard, like shooting coming off screens. Do you think that's something that, can realistically be improved to a point where, okay, this is a guy who's able to do that? Or do you see him more like, again, not the same exact player, but like a Keldon Johnson where, you know, they're they're really good standstill, but they're probably not going to have a lot of utility elsewhere. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, he can shoot off the dribble and stuff too, but in terms of being an off-ball spot-up shooter, you're probably just hoping for standstill. Just because like the two I remember seeing, he airballed one of them and barely touched iron on the other. So like, I'm not optimistic on that front. Okay. Dame, did you have anything else you wanted to ask? Yeah, it's it's really hard talking about negatives for a prospect like this because <laughs> I don't think there are very many, man. I mean, like I said, it's and it's not even a deal. I mean, you could say this, and I mean this in like in the most respectful like respectful way. Like, you know the the saying like the like the the jack of all trades, like master of none kind of deal. Like essentially, like Keegan Murray does like everything 
pretty like relatively pretty good right like there's really not many like holes in his game so it's really hard talking like negatively about a prospect that like does so many things really really well like <laughs> that's just kind of how I look at it you know what I mean absolutely yeah I mean like and I think that's why I like referring to it as like areas of improvement because I think weaknesses almost implies that like they'll never get better at that whereas areas of improvement means like they, they might have a good chance or they might have a chance of getting better at something and I guess last thing we can we can talk about for Keegan Murray and this is not really a real big concern of mine but it is something that I've thought of he is a little bit like in between being like a three and a four do you think that matters defensively because again you said like okay he can like move his feet pretty well I agree I just don't know like how well a how well will he stick to guards at the next level I don't think he's like big enough to really bother guys down low so I mean does does he have like a real like defensive position and again I know I've asked this question about a lot of things but does it really matter yeah, it's that's the other thing in my weaknesses is like, yeah, he's a tweener, but like, this is probably the best era of basketball to be a tweener in. It it does worry me a little bit more offensively. You hear more, I think, like defensively, you want to be a tweener. It means versatile, and he's fine on that front. But like, yeah, the kind of like what we talked about with the post ups, you know, how much does that stuff keep him from being a three or from being a four if he can't movement shots, things like that. That's the kind of stuff where it worries me. And again, I don't think that causes him to fail like it has many other tweeners in the past, like Derek Williams and guys like him. But it is something where it's like it's a ceiling limiter for sure. And then before we move on, I know I asked this about, you know, Jalen Duran. Are you comfortable taking him at nine? I'm assuming the answer to that question is an emphatic yes. I think we all would take him at nine. But I guess for me, you're taking him at nine. Is he a starter day one? For me, I think. Yes, I just don't know why you wouldn't start him over a guy like Doug McDermott, but I'd love to get your perspective on that. You know, do you start him from day one if you're San Antonio? And maybe what does his role look like? What does his fit look like next to a Keldon Johnson? Because that's who he would be starting next to. Yeah, I think he starts. Um, you know, you look at another scoring option that can hold his own on defense. I, I think it's just the, the stuff that Keegan Murray can do. I think he fits into just about any role. You can ask him to do a different role every single possession, and he, he's still going to be able to produce and make the team better. So I think he starts. I don't think there's one specific thing you want him to do outside of really scoring. Scoring is probably the main thing. And then also, like, hey, can you guard, like, the second to fourth best player on, on their team on the other end? Like, you're good. I'll kick it to you, Dave. Yeah, I think it's time. I think we're ready to, uh, to talk about A.J. Griffin, man, to be honest. I think uh, I think there's a lot. That was one of the first prospects I actually watched throughout this entire deal. It was it was him and Shaden Sharp, like my first two. So I want to kick it to you, Bash Jap. I want to I want to hear everything you got to say about AJ Griffin. I think the number one comp first. The first thing I'm going to ask is, what do you think about the Jimmy Butler comp? Because everyone seems to throw it out when talking about AJ Griffin. But just overall, kind of tell us about his game, some things you like, um, you know, some things that you know, if the Spurs hypothetically, because he's a guy that's probably going to go top seven. I would assume he maybe he falls to nine, but overall, you know, just tell us about him and uh, and of course I want to hear about the Jimmy Butler comp too. <laughs> yeah, I'll start with the Jimmy Butler one. I don't see it. Uh, I'll just kind of put, just put the wrench in that one. I uh, for me the thing is like his profile starts with shooting, right? Kind of eliminates him from being Jimmy Butler for me. The frame and like the motor and things like that. Yeah, it's Jimmy. But like when you look at what his actual best skill set is and what his worst skill set is at the moment. It's very opposite of Jimmy. Like, AJ is kind of rough on defense at the moment. Granted, I think there's a lot of potential on that end for him to be a good defender. 
but he's also a very good three-point shooter, like a very like elite for the draft class, just polar opposites of Jimmy. So I don't like that personally. I've struggled to find a real comparison. He plays to me like Kawhi Leonard, but he's not Kawhi Leonard at all. Um, so that that's a tough part. But in terms of what he does good, man, I think he's going to be – I think he's going to blow people away with the athleticism. He came off of two major knee injuries uh, or lower body injuries at least in, to end high school. So he was recovering at the first part of the year if you look at the game logs. You're going to notice the minutes are really weird in the production and usage are really low. Till pretty much January, and then after that, something clicked, and he looked healthy. He has an NBA-ready body. I think he has great recovery ability on defense, which is what will help him on the defensive end. He's very, very strong. He has a quick first step. He's really explosive as an athlete, especially when he gets guys up in the air off pump fakes. And he's a good passer on the move, and he can attack those closeouts really well. And obviously, like I said, elite shooter for the draft. Yeah, no, I was going to say, too, I think for me – Overall, the, just the ability off the bounce is something that I really, really like. I think he's really polished as a scorer. And he's another guy that's really young, too. I think the ringer has him at 18, 18 years and 8 months or something like that, 18 years, 10 months. Like, it's another guy that's really, really young. And I feel like for the Spurs especially, even though, you know, he's 6, this, they, they kind of need more six eight six nine. you know, just defensive kind of bigger wings. Even at six six though, he's a really, really solid prospect. And I think for San Antonio especially, uh, you mentioned, like, volume scoring uh, with Keegan Murray. Do you think there's potential for him to be a volume scorer at the next level, or do you think that's not going to be in his bag at any time? I don't know about, like, define volume score. Like, are you looking at a specific number? Uh, nothing, in, nothing in specific. I think just more so, like, the way you saw Keegan Murray, uh, do you think that could be, you know, in the bag for, for uh, A.J. Griffin? Uh, probably not. I think he tops out around, like, 17 points per game, which is still pretty good. I just don't think he's going to yeah. be, like, a top-two option on a team, personally. So I, I, this is important. I really do want to talk about this because you seem to be very high on him, probably, or it seems like you're high on him recovering some of that burst and lift that didn't, again, like I didn't think it was that apparent at the beginning of the year. Like you mentioned, like kind of around that Ohio State game, that's where he started picking up momentum. Uh, really, he like entrenched himself in, in the lineup, then in the starting lineup, then as like a you know top 10 pick kind of guy. And it seemed like he recovered a little bit throughout the season, but I never thought that he looked like super explosive. I didn't, I wasn't in love with like his first step, but I, I, that's again, I, I only saw 10 games. So where, what, what do you think about his athleticism? Cause I know you said, okay, well, like I, I think he'll, he'll be, he'll surprise people. Is that because you think he will regain some of that athleticism that maybe was sapped a little bit following those lower extremity injuries in high school? Yeah, it's a little bit of the injuries, and then also the uh, the fact that the Duke offense was very scattered, I would say, where it was like, I don't think they knew how to properly distribute and space the floor, play to everybody's strengths off ball. When they didn't have the ball, how are they going to help somebody else get better? I don't know if AJ was easy to adapt to in that way for those guys. So it's just a combination of the injuries and just NBA spacing ability next to him. Okay, I think that's fair. And then I don't think this matters that much because we I think people brought it up with John Morant, totally different player, but the two-footed leaping, that's definitely at least from from what I've seen, that's like kind of his MO. Like he's a two-footed leaper, but it didn't feel feel like he really ever finished above the rim that often. I guess I'm still I'm like that's what I'm worried about most. And we'll we'll talk about his weaknesses in a second. I'll try to stick on the positives for now. The shooting. 
really good. As you mentioned, I think you could say like borderline historic for a freshman. I know, at least according to basketball reference, of all freshmen in high major conferences since the beginning of tracking for three-point shooting, he's one of five freshmen to shoot at least 44% on at least five attempts per game. I thought that was really interesting. I think that'll be his calling card immediately upon entering the NBA. Uh, I didn't think he was like a, a guy who you're running off screens or anything like that, but he relocates really, really, really well. Like he seems to just be able to, I, I'm, I'm kind of at a loss for, for the words right now, but like uh, it's like lift or drift and, uh, and down, down, like up and down the corners. I'm, I'm, lose, I'm lost for words right now, but you know what I mean? Like he's coming up from the corner, moving down from the corner into the corner. I just thought he did a really good job of finding holes in the defense and he didn't need the ball in his hand. And I think that's valuable to a team, but how valuable is that to a team like San Antonio that, again, it seems like they kind of need scores first and foremost and guys who are pretty versatile versatile on the defensive end. Yeah, I think you look at a guy next to DeJounte Murray, probably has to do what A.J. does with, like you said, the movement is is really strong. I like his relocation ability. And I think ultimately somebody with – you could look at A.J. Griffin almost as having shooting gravity, which would negate some of the other scoring abilities, I think. Uh, and just you have to always stay on him, uh, make him take his time or make him take a quick shot, I should say, because he takes his time on a lot of threes because his base is really, really different from anything you've ever seen before. It's one of the widest bases I've ever seen. It's a little bit slow. He takes his time. So the question becomes, can he hit shots when he's sped up? And that's, you know, to me, I, I think that's going to be what makes or breaks his, uh, his fit with an NBA team, especially a team like the Spurs, where I don't know, I, I, like you have... You look at Doug McDermott, that dude had wastes zero time getting his shot off. You're going to kind of go to an almost opposite in terms of shot speed. When it comes to his playmaking, that's kind of something I wanted to kind of transition to. Do you think that there's upside uh, for him as like a pick and roll like passer? Or do you think that what we're really dealing with here is, is more of a guy that can, that's a really good shooter, right? I feel like he's a, good, he's a decent ball handler as well. But in terms of a playmaker, do you see um, some upside there, or are we working with not very much there as, uh, either? Minimal. Um, I think Minimal. you're going to see okay. most of his upside as a playmaker come when he's got his man in the air and he gets a closeout. The wake, the game at Wake Forest, if you want to see a good example of it, whew, he does a lot of it there. He's getting his man up, he's got the dribble, he's got a crossover ready, and then he sees his man in the corner cutting whatever it is, and he finds him. So... I don't know if he's going to be able to do it on his own without a screen even. But I think ultimately you're kind of looking at him as an off-ball guy who creates to an extent. Like he's, you got an option when he gets the ball. He's either going to shoot it, he's going to take someone off the dribble and drive, or he's going to pass it out of those drives. And he does all three of those well. But on ball, you're just not going to get that. So would you say at, again, kind of moving on a little bit too, at nine for the Spurs, hypothetically, if he was there, is that a steal for you at nine, or do you think that's just a solid value pick uh, for San Antonio? It's close to a steal. It's it's excellent value at the least. Um, it, you're getting close to the steal. If the medicals check out, yeah, you got a steal. Like the thing with Griffin is, if he had been healthy, he's been somebody who I've been seeing his name since 2019 as like one of those next guys up. And the injuries just really derailed his career. He, I don't think he's going to be like Harry Giles or something where he just never recovered because. Griffin at least has an elite skill, but I think you have a high floor guy with a high ceiling at nine. That's a really good outcome. Yeah. I, I, I think overall he was one guy that I really saw too. I think we've, I think we've mentioned this on like a hundred podcasts, Noah, or I, at least I have, 
where I just seem like there's a lot of high floor options for the Spurs at nine. I think like everyone here who we're talking about is that. I think even last week, last week's show with Hoop Intellect is kind of the same deal. It seems like just overall in this class, there's a lot of, of just high floor options for the Spurs at nine. And I think AJ Griffin's one. Although like, I don't think there's a lot of upside as a playmaker. I think as a shooter and within his role and within his skill set, uh, there's a lot that he can offer, you know, right out of the box. So I personally like AJ Griffin a lot. And even at nine, uh, it wouldn't be like the best like fit per se, but it would definitely be good value because you're getting someone that can contribute right away in, in a good role. Definitely. And I guess the one of the last things I want to ask you in terms of positives about him as I was going through his synergy data. It really looked like he was pretty good off the dribble. It looked like he ranked in the 95th percentile as an off the dribble shooter. It wasn't super high volume or anything like that. You know, 29 of 64. So like, I guess he's taking like two dribble jumpers a game or one in 1.8, you know, close to two. Is that something you see translating to the next level at all? Or is is that really, okay, he, he did that at Duke. There were nice flashes of, you know, self-creation. Or is that maybe like, okay, if he reaches like his high end outcome, he's doing more of that. Yeah, I think that's more of a high-end outcome. That's a pretty far-away development. Uh, like I said, you know, he can do it off of closeouts and whatnot. The big development for him is can he capitalize on using a screen? Can he see that he has space and, and recognize the one-on-one -on -one ability and then break down his man? I don't see that any flashes of that yet, but it is something where it's like we saw what he can do attacking closeouts off the fakes and then he has open space. He has a little bit of wiggle to him. Can he be able to utilize that? As an on-ball player, creating offense, that's where the the high outcome for him, yes. The answer is yes. Okay. And let's go ahead and move on to his, I guess, not weaknesses, but his areas of improvement. What are some areas that you really feel like you know, AJ's got to improve? And what are the areas that realistically he can improve that make him a better player in the NBA? Yeah, isolation ability, like we just said, just kind of leading off with that. Speeding up his jump shot, the base is a little bit, not a little bit, it's very wide. And then really injury history and then just kind of refining those defensive skills as he, his body gets better and better. I think we saw a lot of flashes, just individual flashes. It was it was not a lot, but actually a good amount, I would say, is the right term. Every few games you would see like, dang, AJ just like put up a brick wall against the slasher. And just kind of being consistent, getting those things right, those habits right. That's really a big flash for him. Those are, those are really the skills. And it's kind of weird. It almost just sounds like putting it all together all his individual tools, making them come together. That's really his biggest area of improvement. And he has a seven foot wingspan, right? Like it's a really, it looks long, but I think it's seven foot, right? Can you confirm that? Do you know? Uh, we'll find out this week in the combine. I, I've i just punted all wingspan because half, those half the time they're horribly inaccurate, but it wouldn't shock me if it's at least 6'10". Yeah, uh, KOC on the ringer said it was seven foot, I think. It was a seven foot Yeah, wingspan, I, I trust so. that then. I trust that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm yeah, I'm reading it right now. So I mean, it could yeah, like it could be it could be false, but I'm not sure. I think too for AJ Griffin, I, I think my only concern was what I mentioned earlier, because uh, obviously you know I'm not expecting him to be LeBron James, but I think within his role, the only thing that I I, I'm, I question you know outside of the you know the medicals, is uh is the playmaking really? I think that's that's a huge swing factor for him honestly, uh, because. Outside of that, I mean, you know what you're getting, and it's a skill set that's really valuable for the modern NBA, right? I mean, whatever you need from him within that role, he's going to be really, really good at it. So I think the playmaking for me, Noah, and, and Mavs Jeff, that's the only thing that I, I truly have a question about. Yeah, I think the other thing that I definitely am not sold on, at least at the moment, is the the defense, uh, specifically like off-ball. It did seem like he lost track of his man pretty often. He got beat back door 
quite a bit. Like he seemed to ball watch a lot. Like he was really interested in what was going on with the ball, lost his guy. And like maybe when, when he wasn't like when he wasn't directly involved in the action, he was a little bit disengaged, but I don't know. I just, for me, for a guy who, again, we're not sure, uh, you seem relatively confident that he will be able to recuperate some athleticism, but if he does not, I feel like his defensive outcome is, doesn't look great if he does not recoup. But uh, I mean, I, I guess I'd, I'd love more perspective on that because, again, I've only seen 10 games, so 10 games does not tell the entire story. Yeah. Um, for me, it's like, I think, I think it just starts with the strength, right? Like, I think he can shut anybody down. And I think that's, that's just a really strong flash. I, I don't think you see a lot of guys in college stop the point of attack of a drive where that first step is just completely eliminated. Uh, AJ Griffin can do that occasionally. The problem is it's occasionally, not often. And uh, that, that's, that's just kind of how I look at it. It's like the big selling yeah. point for me. Actually, one other thing, now that I think about it, there, he also navigates screens well occasionally. Like, like you said, like, yes, the defense is horribly inconsistent. And I think I attribute a lot of it to the injury personally. I just think he's willing to punt defensive possessions in college, just knowing like, all right, I've, I have Mark Williams to clean up after me. I have Trevor Keels, who's a great perimeter defender. Wendell Moore's a finder perimeter defender. He had all these guys to back him up. And the NBA probably can't get away with it. But ultimately, I, I think something that really intrigues me is his way he navigates through screens. There's a play he ran through an elevator and uh, which is the two bigs are just collapsing in on the, the closeout. And he splits it perfectly. He reads it, comes around, and gets the, gets the shot contest up, and any of the guy misses. So things like that, really special for a college freshman. I, I went back and watched him, Kawhi Leonard, trying to find something like that, and I got lucky. And I did. And it was when you're in doing the same things as Kawhi on defense like that, like just screen navigation, that's special to me. Yeah, well, I guess that makes me a little bit more optimistic than uh, f for his defensive outcome. <laughs> yeah, that was a good selling point. <laughs> yeah, that was a really good selling point. I'm not going to lie to you. No, I don't know if you had any any other questions or anything you wanted to mention, but I think uh, I have a couple more questions, not about AJ Griffin in particular, but uh, I don't know if you had anything else. If not, I'll ask. No, I'm good. I'm okay. empty. I'm on E for questions. Okay. I'm good. <laughs> okay, so I, got, so I got two. The first one is going to be, so right now at number nine, you know, hypothetically, my, the the lottery's tomorrow. My birthday's tomorrow. So, hey, maybe something happens, right? Uh, but let's say the Spurs are picking at nine. Who do you think, you know, would be their their best option at nine? I know you have Jalen Duran at, you know, at pick nine. But who do you think at number nine, uh, you know, who would you go with uh, if you were the Spurs? Yeah, um, I think it's one of two people. My I'll go in order of my big board ranking of these two, but... Man, if Benedict Matherin is there, which there's like a halfway decent chance, you're getting a steal. I have him as number five. I just don't understand what he really does wrong as he gets better um, in the NBA outside of like a little bit of creation issues. But it's him or Keegan Murray, really. Those are the two guys who I feel very confident in saying, hey, put him on that team and you're good. And if you want a third, a, a second new name, you could go with Johnny Davis, who he's a high floor player. I don't think his ceiling is crazy high, but his floor is very good, kind of just another scoring guard that can play defense. But do you really need another guard in San Antonio? Yeah. So, okay, okay. That's that's an interesting point because now i got to ask, now that you said that, so what do you think about Josh Primo long-term if you're going to add another, you know, like a Benedict, a Benedict Matherin? What do you think about Josh Primo long-term, especially now you got DeJounte Murray, uh, Devin Vassell, you you know, you ideally for him, he likes playing the two. So 
what do you think about Josh Primo then if they did go, you know, uh, uh, the route of Benedict Matherin? Yeah, I don't think they overlap, actually. I think Matherin can play up a little bit more. He's he's a truer small forward, so you don't have to worry too much about that. I okay. love Primo, though. Uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to just absolutely <laughs> just splurge on one of my favorite young players in the league. I love Josh Primo. I think he's going to be really good on defense. What surprised me at how good he was on the defensive end, and I, I really buy the creation ability offensively. But... That wasn't the question. Yeah. Um, I think Johnny Davis Johnny Davis is the bigger overlap because Johnny Davis is a true two, and he he comes up with the biggest issues. If you're just if the Spurs are on a mission to get the best talent and saying we just need somebody who won't bust, we'll keep the value of the same if we had the number nine pick to trade in, in something other conversations, Johnny Davis is probably that. And for me, that's why I'm kind of like, he's a worst case scenario of in that bunch where it's like, all right, we need somebody who... We don't know how he fits, but hey, he's talented, and you know we can count on him to score, and he's gonna play defense. I again, with a fit, if you're trying to, if you're picking, if you have a gun to my head, Primo or Johnny <laughs> Davis, I'm taking Primo ten times out of ten. Wow. Okay. Okay. I'm sure Spurs fans will love to hear that because I know that they've been up and down on Primo. We've been up and down on Primo. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm up on me. Primo. Yeah, we'll, I'm up we'll on see. Me Primo. We'll see how he turns out. I like him. I just don't. I might yeah. have made a bad bet because I mean we're in Texas, a state where there's a lot of guns. I and I said a gun to my head if Primo. So <laughs> I've got to watch out in a few years if Johnny Davis is a lot better than Primo. I might have some uh, some some, some hitmen out to get me. <laughs> I got I got one more I got one more for you. Uh, this is a prospect. This is selfish. This is a prospect that I really like that I've been watching a lot of. No, probably knows what I'm talking about. What do you think about Dyson Daniels? And uh, what do you think about Dyson Daniels potentially <laughs> for the Spurs at number nine? Um, how do I put this nicely? Uh, <laughs> I think they can kind of tell you where I'm going with this. I'm, I'm just not Oh, no. I'm okay, not sold on hear... Dyson. It, it depends on what you're looking for. Like, like I think you're going to get passing and ball handling out of him for sure. And you got good size, good finishing ability. I just I worry a little bit that the shot is a bit of a fatal flaw. Like I look at there's three guys in this draft and I'm like only one of the I I have I just feel like only one of them is going to succeed and they all have a very similar issue. They all handle the ball decently well, two of them better than the other, but handle the ball, play great defense and cannot shoot. And that's Jeremy Sohan, Kendall Brown, and Dyson Daniels. I I just I feel I lump those three together and I'm like all of these dudes if they don't shoot like they're screwed. Only one of them is going to be able to overcome it. And it's the player I have the highest on my board. I, I'm banking on Kendall Brown personally, but I just I I don't know if I'd take Dyson Daniels. I I'm not a fan of taking him that high. I just I really worry about guys that can't shoot that are you know that are in the role he is where the ball is going to be in his hands a lot. If you can't shoot, it negates so much of your other strengths. But I think he'll he's still going to stick. He'll be like a bench player at the at the minimum. He's someone who's going to be in the rotation. He's not going to be someone that's fighting for minutes at all. That's for fighting for 20 versus 25 versus 30. I just, I'm a little bit iffy on taking him in the okay. top 10. That's fair. It hurts my heart, but I mean, hey, it's it's fair. Noah's been trying to talk me off the ledge with, with Dyson Daniels. That's someone that I, yeah, I, I haven't been into that, that either. I like him. Yeah. I do like him. I just don't like him that early. That early is to me a pretty big like swing on something that I don't, again, I don't, I don't really see the shooting uh, panning out for him too much. I thought he was pretty passive as a scorer. I didn't think he created a lot of advantages for himself. So, like, if you're not creating advantages for yourself and drawing other defenders, I think it in some ways limits your ability to create for others. So, I don't know. I love the defense, though. And if he is 6'8 versus, you know, 6'6, six, six, you know, like the rumors, like, okay, it makes him a little more intriguing, but that doesn't change the fact that I have no idea if he's going to be able to shoot at the next level. So, 
that's the only reasons. Those are the reasons why I'm just like, nah, I, I'm out on him as like an option at nine. I just wouldn't do it. But I'm not in control either. Like the Spurs are. Who knows? They took Primo 12th last year. Maybe they'll, you know, make your dreams come true. That's, what, take that's what I was going to say. Dyson that's what I was going to say. I was going to say, hey, maybe if you put him on your big board at 30 again, they'll go with him at number nine or whatever. Like you did last year with Primo. You had Primo at 32 last year? Yeah. 30? I, what's funny is I was one of the higher ones. I was so scared. This is my issue. I do this every year and I, okay, okay. <laughs> you bet your ass I will do this again. I am like, oh, somebody needs to take a gamble on this kid. He's good. And they're like, oh, where do you have him? 70. And it's like, all right, Rich, like, what are you doing here? Because I'm just scared to like make that splash. Like Even with Donovan Mitchell, I was like, this kid has the potential to be the best pick in the draft. And they're like, oh, okay. Like, I was like, yeah, I'd take him over Alonzo. And I'm like, and people are like, oh, so you have him like two? And I'm like, no, I have him eight or nine. And I'm like, dang, what am I doing in hindsight? Two would have been the spot. Like, two was the answer. And I just, I'm scared to make the splashes. Like, I think people forget the draft does not go like the the redrafts do not ever go one to one. Like players do, bust, players exceed expectations. Yeah, there's so many variables. Yeah, like you don't know their mindset. You have absolutely no idea what their work ethic is like. You know, do they grow a little bit? Do they get stronger? What developmental system are they in? Like, there's so many factors that go into how a player's career turns out. Yeah. No, I, I would agree with you too. Actually, the only reason I had Primo 32nd on my big board last year was because I just I thought, okay, I, I love the shooting. I think he can defend a little bit. I saw there were some flashes of being able to like play make off the dribble, but I was like, man, I, I don't know. It was pretty like low volume, and I had no context. I, I had not seen any of his like you play Canada stuff, so I had none of that context. So I was just like, okay, well, that's what this guy is for now. I think that's like fringe first round, maybe early second round kind of guy. And then they took him twelfth, and obviously Spurs fans were some were upset, some were surprised. Most of them just had no idea who he was. So we'll see what they do this year. But on that same topic, are there any guys for you at nine? Because that's where we're gonna we're gonna assume where the Spurs are picking just based on history. There most guys, you know, most teams do not move up. Are there any other guys in this class who you go, okay, you know, I like him at nine. This wouldn't be a bad option for the Spurs. Yeah. Um if <laughs> this one's bold. If you're willing to, just kind of going off of what the numbers look like, if you just go off of, I think it's the past, uh, two of the past threes, we really don't know, it's 2021. But the in 2020, the best shooter in the draft was Desmond Bain. He's already a top 10 player from the draft. He will be a top 10 player from the draft. The best shoot, shooter from 2019, Cameron Johnson. He's probably a top 10 player from the draft, or very, very close. The best shooter in the draft this year in terms of, like, movement all of it just mainstream kind of best shooter in the drafts i'm sure there's somebody better that's like a deeply obscure prospect but when you're talking about the true best shooter of the first round it's oche Agbaji. and while he does have shortcomings best shooter in the draft at the wing with good size and athleticism actually elite athleticism i saw him three times come through tce the only time i didn't was covid year and every single time I go, oh my God, did his head just go above the rim? And the answer every single time is yes, yes, it went above the rim. <laughs> He's an elite athlete, um, struggles to use it on defense, but the jump shot, like you're looking at a guy who he can hit high level, high like difficulty threes at a high level from distance on the movement, spot up, one dribble, pump fakes and everything. That's going to yield top 10 value. Like he's a dark horse. 
That's funny because my fiance and her whole family, they well, my fiance didn't go, but my fiance's family went to KU. They're big Jayhawks fans. So like every weekend when we see them, we were watching like Kansas games. So I saw a ton of Ochai. I've seen a ton of Ochai over the last like three, four years. We've saw a ton of his games when they came to TCU. We went to a game at the Allen Fieldhouse in Kansas this past Christmas. So like, yeah, I, I like him a lot. I actually have him. Let me pull my big board up real quick just so I don't misspeak, but I have him. 14th on my big board so like I do think it would be kind of a bold move to take him because he is older he is a guy who I don't know how much upside he has but the floor is super super high I do like him a lot and he does provide a skill that I think that the Spurs need I still think that look I love Keldon I think he's a really really good standstill stationary three-point shooter and I know that Doug McDermott is like one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA it just in terms of his shot versatility but like I don't see those guys working together long term. And I know Ochai is not a forward. He's a he's like a wing. But I would much rather see Ochai playing minutes in San Antonio over a guy like Doug McDermott. And again, I know this kind of comes up every episode where we talk about Doug McDermott for a second. But I think it's in their <laughs> best interest. Love Doug. Like, I, I, I do. I really like Doug McDermott. But, like, I do think it's in San Antonio's best interest to find a way to move off of him. Because I don't know that you want to pay him $14.5 million to come off the bench next season. Yeah, and... I mean, you have Mavs draft on, like, a Mavs person, like, and you're talking about a Mavs <laughs> legend, Doug McDermott, so it makes sense. No, I get it, though. He also, yeah, he makes McDermott very replaceable. Like, that is, that's probably the number one selling point. Yeah, you scale down because McDermott can play the four. Oche cannot play the four. Uh, I, I think it'd be, unless he's out there with three guards, and then he, like, can turn, you know. But, like, under most circumstances, most normal circumstances, he's not a four. So, like, yeah, you you get some Doug McDermott replacement. Definitely. Dame, do you have any more questions or do you want to start wrapping up? We can could, we could wrap it up, man. I think this is a really, really good episode. I really, really enjoyed it, especially the stuff about, you know, Dyson Daniels. I like – I just like throwing out prospects that I like, you know, hearing perspectives because, you know, Noah gets a little tired of me, you know, talking about Dyson Daniels. So, you know, I got to I gotta ask, you know, what people are thinking. But thanks for, thanks for coming on, man. I really, really appreciate it. We really appreciate it. I really, really enjoyed this. I think everyone, everyone's going to take a lot of information from this episode. That's for sure. Hey, I appreciate y'all having me. Um, and <laughs> yeah, I, I love Josh Primo. And I, I was thinking, you know, we talked about our <laughs> being too bold. The only time I was ever bold in my ranking, and I, this is actually, I swear it's relevant to the Spurs. So in 2011, I, uh, I, made, this, I made this mock <laughs> draft and I was like, you know what? I, I, I'm going to go with some misses along the way. It's just one quick story. But dude, I... <laughs> I was talking out like I was in high school as a junior in high school and I was like, man, this Kawhi Leonard guy, he is good. Like the huge <laughs> hands, the wingspan and like he can, you know, I see a jump shot forming and I didn't even think about the defense, which is like the worst part. So I was like 17. So like take my, <laughs> take this with a grain of salt, but I loved Kawhi Leonard. And then in it, I was like, ooh, Jimmy Butler wouldn't draft him. So had to touch on all this. And I also love Bismack <laughs> Biombo. So I, I had some misses in there. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you guys for having me. And even with my, my terrible misses in the past, I appreciate you all trusting me on this. Hey, man, we all miss, man. We all miss. I mean, I had Killian Hayes at number two back in 2020, man. Yeah, I had I think him I'm at four. Like, <laughs> dude, oh, my. See, and that's why whenever we were talking about Dyson Daniels, I was going to mention that. I just didn't you know, want to get some slander. But, yeah, no, I was going to mention, too, like, good ball handler, good passer, shaky jump shot. I was like, oh, my God, am I falling for the Killian Hayes again? Am I doing it again? But. Who knows, man? 
Yeah, man, but we really do appreciate you, you know, taking the time out. We've been doing this for about an hour, so we'll go ahead and throw it to you. This is your time to shine. You can share with Spurs fans, NBA fans, whoever's listening to the podcast. Just tell them where they can find you on social media, you know, all of your great draft content, your NBA content. Go ahead and just throw it out there for them. Yeah, I appreciate it. Everything pretty much runs through my Twitter, at Mavs Draft. Uh, I promise I'm not like some, I mean, I do hate the Spurs, you know, from an inside perspective. <laughs> I, I'm not like, I'm not like, oh my God, the Spurs suck. And I'm like, you're not going to fanboy or anything. I'll try to be objective. <laughs> and I, I give the Spurs credit when it's doing everything and, and all that. I, I monitor most teams, but at Mavs Drafts, the hub, I share anything I do, scouting reports, big boards, mock drafts, anything like that. And, uh, and then I also do my own podcast, Locked On NBA Big Board. Um, we, we have a really talented crew and we've been able to do a lot of stuff and I'm on it every Tuesday. Definitely check all that stuff out. And, uh, I honestly, from personal experience, we wouldn't have had you on if we didn't love your content. So check the podcast out, follow them on Twitter, uh, check out the website as well. I know you do scouting reports and big boards on there as well. So really check all that stuff out, but Dame, it's your turn now. Let everybody know where they can find you. Yeah, man. Thanks. Thanks again for joining us. And yeah, just y'all follow me on Twitter at da bartonic. That's at d a b a r t o n e k. Y'all already know the deal. A lot of Spurs stuff, pounding the rock, uh, Washington Commander stuff, or Hogs Haven, Tech State Insider. I do a whole lot of whole lot of whole lot of. So yeah, just follow me. Uh, follow me. Holler me on Twitter. And uh, yeah, man. No, it was really dope. You know, having another episode, another really good one. So yeah. And you can find me at n underscore magaro on Twitter. M a g a r o. You can find both me and Dame on Pounding the Rock. You can check out my YouTube channel. I want to start ramping stuff up there again, so we'll see if that ends up happening by the time we get through with draft season. But again, appreciate everybody who came on, and thank you to everybody who tuned in for this edition of Alamo City Limits. And for those of you listening at home, make sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. We've got an amazing staff of writers over at Pounding the Rock who do a wonderful job of keeping everybody up to date with their favorite team. So check our stuff out. But until next time, Spurs fans, take care.